So I stood at the altar in the chapel, and I saw, standing next to me, the most stunning, beautiful woman that I've ever known. Let me set this down right here. You know, it's that kind of beauty that, that radiates from the inside, right? Um, sure, it was a wedding day, and they're wearing this dress that took 20 people to pick out, um, and, and hair done just right, but there's a glow about somebody when you know them truly, uh, not just what they look like. And it gathered around us were some of our closest friends and our family my family was sitting here, her family here, and I can tell you the way the mood was set with the music that was played and, and just that God's presence had filled that room. And as we both stood there facing our pastor, Pastor David looked at us both and he said these words, I ask you now in the presence of God and these people to declare your intention to enter into union with each other through the grace of Jesus Christ who calls you into union. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Union with himself as acknowledged in your baptism. And then he looked at me specifically and he asked me this question. Johnny, will you have Holly to be your wife to live together in holy marriage? Will you love her? Will you comfort her? Will you honor her and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others? Remember we talked about that too. Forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. Holly and I, uh, we dated for about three years before we got married. um, And we spent that time getting to know each other. Likes, dislikes. Uh, favorite food, favorite movies. We would argue about what was better, Coke or Dr. Pepper. We laughed together, we cried together, we fought with one another. But most importantly, we shared our faith. And as time passed, um, you know, as, as even years passed, several months passing, we began to trust each other more. And with that trust, we began to share more with each other. We would talk about our hopes and our dreams for the future. We discussed careers and fears and uh, places to live, as if there's any other place than Texas. (laughs) We envisioned what our lives would look like together if we ever got married. We talked about what our future family would look like. Would we have kids and how many and would we ever consider adopting, which is really funny to think about now. And after years of emotional investment and and relationship equity that gets built up, I was able to say in that moment with confidence, I will. But even in that moment, I had no idea what that really meant. I had no concept of forever. I had no idea the frustrations uh, that come with living with somebody forever. I mean, I had brothers and I had parents and we got frustrated at each other a lot, but it's a lot different when you've chosen this person to partner with this person. And and then there's those days where it's like the littlest things. And I thought to myself, 
does, is this what love is? And then, and then you have kids. And, and, you know, I was always told this, and I'm always like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, you know, we have a, we have a three-year-old now. And then there's those days where the three-year-old is being crazy and, and likes one of you better than the other, you know. And so then there's that, like, like that hurt that you feel and then maybe a little bit of jealousy of the other person. Like, what do you have that I don't? Like, why do they like you better, you know? I feel like if they're going to like anybody better, you know, you have those kind of thoughts. And it just gets difficult. There's times where he is just difficult. And maybe I think it should be handled this way, and she should thinks it should be handled this way. And then there becomes conflict. And then how does that get resolved? Like, there, there are even bigger issues at play here. But but we made that vow. We made that covenant. And, you know, I, I eventually, after I said I will to our pastor, whenever he asked me that question, I took Holly's hand. And, and I looked at her in the eyes and I said, I, Johnny, take you, Holly, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. And this is my solemn vow. That decision didn't come easily. It wasn't just some crazy thing we decided to do one day. It was the culmination of so much investment. And and there was struggle along the way. We we broke up a couple times. We'd get angry. And we didn't know how to handle it. And, you know, we, but we finally got to a place where we really trusted each other. And that we didn't see what the whole future had. We knew enough to put our faith in each other. To trust each other. That from now on, no matter what happens, you have my back and I got yours. Forsaking all others. And I, I love our story. Don't get me wrong. It's three years and ups and downs, but our, I love our story. It's definitely not going to be a Hollywood blockbuster anytime, anytime soon. Our story isn't really cut for show business. There's nothing really super crazy or interesting about it. But we all want to live a great love story. We want to live that out. That's what we want. And, and Hollywood kind of ruins love for us a little bit when we watch these movies. I mean, they're entertaining for sure. Uh, a romantic comedy is a is one of those easy, no-brainer, don't have to think about it. Like, if you're going to take somebody on a date, like, whatever is the latest romantic comedy out, let's just go watch that. Like, you know what I mean? It's like an automatic date. Uh, they work great for that. Easy plans. And I know for some of you, not for me, but for some of you, The Notebook or Safe Haven or Titanic, a box of tissues and a Snuggie is a good medicine for a broken heart. <laughs> There are hundreds, literally hundreds, maybe thousands of these great love stories out there. And we all want our our own version of that. But while Hollywood does a really great job of entertaining us, uh, of inciting some emotion, you know, you watch those movies and it just starts getting you a little bit. But we'll watch, Holly and I will watch movies and it starts getting a little emotional. So I have to like, you know, like turn, like, for my, like my hands, she sits over here. So I act like I'm asleep, but I'm not. <laughs> Gotta hide that. Like, man, my eyes, my allergies are really crazy today. <laughs> but it does a really bad job of preparing us to actually live those great love stories that we want so much. Uh, you see, movies, music, TV will all tell you this, this is how love works, that you just stumble across the right person. Um, you find your, your soulmate, and, and because you're meant to be together, everything will just work out. 
It may be a short amount of time. It may be a long amount of time. No telling what you have to go through in between. But you're meant to be together. We're soulmates. It doesn't matter if your soulmate is an ignorant man-child. It doesn't matter if they lack any sense of purpose whatsoever in their life. It doesn't matter if they can't hold down a job. It doesn't matter if they're a serial cheater, if they're a criminal. It doesn't matter if they actually love somebody else. It doesn't matter if they're married to somebody else, have a family with somebody else, because you're soulmates. Go ahead. Start rolling through all the romantic movies you've ever seen. These are situations. But it doesn't matter. We're meant to be together. It's going to work out. Now, this isn't some evil plot by all these Hollywood executives that we're going to come together and write all these stories so it ruins everybody's life, you know? That's not, that's not what they're doing. The reason they make these movies is because we watch them. They're entertaining. Sometimes they make you feel really, really good. Sometimes they make you feel really, really bad. But they're entertaining. They sell tickets. That's not a bad thing. They use these scripts and they, and they make these movies because it's going to make them money. And that's fine. We're entertained by that. But it's not how true love works. We have to understand that. We watch these movies and we expect, girls, I know it, you watch these movies and you're like, man, if I could just find a guy like that. <laughs> that guy. Ryan Gosling in that movie. Not Ryan Gosling in these other movies, but in that movie. <laughs> Guys were the same way. We, we look at things and we like, man, if that one, if I could just find a girl like that, that would look like that, that would act like that. And it paints this unrealistic picture of how relationships actually work. It doesn't show you, even though it attempts to, it doesn't show you the true messiness that comes with that long-term relationship. It doesn't show you that. It doesn't show you the heartache and the pain that a husband and wife will go through to keep it together. It doesn't show you all that, and it's not really how true love works. So in the Greek language, uh, New Testament Greek, the, the language that was used to write the New Testament, every time you see the word love in English in the New Testament, it's actually one of four um, Greek words, right? They have all these Greek words, and we just translated it to love every single time. Um, but they actually mean very, very different things. So there's storge, or however you want to pronounce it, storge, storge, I think it's storge. Uh, you think of this as like parental love, right? Like affection, the, the love that a parent has for a child to nurture and care for and raise and protect. That's, that's what that kind of love is. So if, you really don't actually even see that in the New Testament, but that's a word that they would use in, in ancient Greek uh, and still today um, for parental love. So you see that, and that's what that means. If you see philia, uh, this is like friendship. This is like brotherhood, sisterhood, you know. Um, you've heard of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. That's where that comes from, right? Um, there's eros, uh, which is passionate, sexual, romantic love. Uh, it's where we get the word erotic from. Um, so there's that kind of love. And then there's agape. Agape love is sacrificial love. It's a, it's a type of spiritual love. Um, true love. True love. The love that is required to partner with somebody for the rest of your life till death do us part is not eros. And, that, and to be honest, that's what lots of movies tell you. It's about romance. Right? It's about the romance and the attraction. And if they're just romantic enough, 
They do the right romantic things that's going to win you over. They can do all these terrible things while you're dating, but they just do that one romantic thing. They come running down the aisle. No, I made a mistake. Don't marry him. They make that one romantic gesture, and everything's going to work out because you're soulmates. It's agape. Agape love is that love that's required to partner with somebody for the rest of your life. Agape love is independent of our own needs, our own feelings, our wants, our desires. Agape love does not take any of that into account. It's what God intended for us in the beginning. It's the kind of love that Paul, the the Apostle Paul, talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians when we read, and lots of you have heard this verse before, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious, it does not boast. Love isn't arrogant or rude. This is agape love. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. Jesus showed us what this love looks like when he hung from a cross. Agape love is laying your life down for the sake of somebody else. That's agape love. And this type of love is most tested and and probably best refined within the covenant of marriage. There's a beautiful book um, called uh, Sacred Marriage. And it talks about marriage as this refining relationship that brings you closer to holiness, where lots of these um, things that we talk about as far as agape goes, kindness, compassion, love, patience, those things are, are most tested and most perfected. So, anyways, there's that. So, this type of love is most tested and best refined within this covenant of marriage. In the book, I've talked about it a couple times uh, in this series called Love to Stay by Adam Hamilton. Fantastic book. Adam recounts a story of a couple members in his church called John and Denise. Uh, I'm going to read you uh, that story uh, in here. Da-da-da. The most powerful vision I've seen in my ministry of what marriage is meant to look like is the story of John and Denise. John and Denise were among the founding members of our church. They and their two elementary age sons helped in a host of ways as we launched our community of believers. Denise had suffered a brain tumor many years earlier, but it had long been, had, had long been in remission. Then about three or four years after the founding of our church, the tumor returned. John and Denise learned that it was cancerous and inoperable. And, through the, and though the doctor tried to slow its progress, the tumor would not respond to treatment. It was obvious that at some point before too long, she would succumb. John, Denise, and their sons moved to Columbia, Missouri to be closer to family. One day, several years after they had moved, John called to let me know the end was drawing near. I drove the two hours to Columbia in order to spend time with him. I rang the doorbell and heard John shout from the top of the stairs, Adam, it's unlocked. Come on in. He had just finished giving Denise a bath and was doing her hair and putting on her makeup. I watched as he took her in his arms, carried her downstairs, and set her gently at the kitchen table. He made us bologna sandwiches, and gently fed Denise, wiping her face tenderly after each bite. Now and then, Denise would have a brief flash of awareness, as though she recognized something familiar, but most of the time there was a blank look in her eyes. When we had finished, John and I prayed together for Denise, giving her to God. As I got in my car to start back, I broke down. The tears flowed down my face. This, I thought, is what marriage looks like. 
It wasn't about a piece of paper. It had long ago stopped being about sex and romance and fun or even friendship. This was marital love, a commitment that John and Denise had made for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish one another until death did they part. This is agape. And it's something profound, holy, and beautiful. And this is God's mission and vision for marriage. A relationship that's built on romance and sex, um, on on attraction alone, uh, on eros, is not equipped to withstand the chaos that life can throw at you. Whether it's cancer, whether it's kids, it, it doesn't matter that chaos comes, whether it's jobs and money. Life can be chaotic. And, and when you've decided to commit yourself to that one person, to do life together forever, life gets real complicated and it gets real hard. And, and, and much of the stuff whenever I was younger that I built relationships on, would never stand. They did, they obviously didn't stand. But there's no way I could have done life with them. Living out a great love story is not something that begins once you meet the man or the woman of your dreams. Living a great love story starts with you and it starts today. I love that. Actually, um, for those of you that are in a small group, you'll hear that in your small group curriculum. Uh, Lauren wrote that, and I read that. I was like, Lauren, this is perfect. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Uh, so I had to give her credit for that. But living out a great love story starts with you, and it starts today. It doesn't start when you find that special someone and then you try to learn how to grow together. It starts with you now. Discovering what love is and how God created you to love is all part of this story, and that's something that you must do individually and that you must understand about yourself before you can even begin to love somebody else. Our capacity to fulfill the mission of love is strengthened by our faith in Christ and our desire to serve Him and by the work of the Holy Spirit as we grow in faith. In other words, the closer you grow to Christ individually, the more equipped you are to express the kind of agape love necessary for long-term or lifelong relationships. I'm going to say that one more time. In other words, the closer you grow to Christ individually, the more equipped you are to express the kind of agape love necessary for those lifetime relationships. And the truth is, we often mistake this. We, we have this void and, and we have to stop using our, our boyfriends or our girlfriends or sex to make us feel fulfilled and, and secure and valued. Uh, to expect another person to make you happy, to expect another person to make you secure or to fulfill you will leave you disappointed at best. And even the greatest guy, hear me, the greatest guy in the world or the greatest girl in the world, still make very poor gods. The greatest guy in the world or the greatest girl in the world will make a very poor god. God is God, 
He is your creator and the only one that can truly fulfill you, help you understand your value. But until we know that, we can't begin to love somebody else because we have this void in us. A great love story is the product of two people who have grown close to God, then to each other. A great love story is the product of two people who have grown close to God, then to each other. And the way we do that is we begin assuming, <clears throat> is to begin assuming the role and purpose that God has for you. That's how we begin this, this journey individually. We begin assuming that role and the purpose that God has for you. To begin practicing that agape love and that sacrificial love that is prescribed for living out that great love story. Paul, the Apostle Paul, we read from him earlier. He has a letter to the Colossians. This is one of my favorite verses. Um, and I, I think it wholly applies not only to um, marriage-type relationships, but also just in our relationships in general. And this is the type of thing that we start practicing. As God's chosen people, this is from chapter, th- chapter 3 of Colossians, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We all want to live this great love story and we all hope to one day share the kind of love that we heard about from John and Denise Hopefully it doesn't involve tragedy, but we want that kind of love. That's what we want. But know that it just—it doesn't just happen. It's not just stumbling across somebody and, and capitalizing on, on that moment, saying the right thing so that the, the right one doesn't get away. It doesn't, it, it doesn't just happen like that, but instead, it's something that's trained for. It's something that is practiced long before the event takes place. If you were at church this weekend, big church, you got to hear from our bishop, and that was his whole message, was this idea of training in godliness and training in the faith. He told a story of, you know, being in a hospital with somebody and praying for somebody who was dying, and he said, you know, that's not the time to learn how to pray for the first time. Praying is something that I've practiced and something that I do and something is a part of my life that, that fulfills me and gets me closer to God. And then when I'm called on to pray for somebody else, especially in one of those really heavy moments, it's not the first time I've ever prayed. This is why we begin practicing this agape love now. It's, it's not the time to learn how to forgive, to learn how to be patient and gentle once you're already married and you've got kids and you're driving each other nuts. That's not the time to learn compassion. That's something that you learn way before that, before you even know who this other person is. And you start practicing those things. You practice them with your parents. You practice them with your friends. You practice them with your siblings. I know that's hard, but that's what you do. You practice those things. You train in patience and compassion and kindness. And you develop those things in you as spiritual gifts. That way when you find that person, everything doesn't go smoothly, everything doesn't go perfectly, but you are trained in how to handle those situations. 
It's not the first time you've had to practice your patience or kindness or gentleness. You're ready for it. My hope for all of you as we, as we end this series, Naked and Afraid, that you know the value that God has placed on each one of you. How highly He regards you as His creation. And know that you are fully known and fully loved by the creator of all things. And knowing that, knowing that and, and growing closer to God will equip you to share the love necessary to live out your great love story. To one day be fully exposed to somebody and not be afraid. That's our hope and that's our prayer for you. Let's pray. Great God of love, we thank you for this time of worship tonight. God, I lift up these students as they prepare themselves, their hearts, their minds, their bodies, God. They prepare themselves for living out that great love story. God, that they have their future in mind. That they have their future spouse in mind, God. That they begin training and preparing now, practicing love and grace, God, practicing the kindness and gentleness and compassion, patience, God. That they become those things, that they embody that agape love that is required to truly love another individual. God, I pray for those in this room that may be thinking that this doesn't apply to them anymore. They might as well give up, God, that they that it's too late for them. But God, we know that that's not true. That you are a God of grace and love and forgiveness. And all of us in this room, God, pray this prayer. We lift it up because none of us are perfect. God, create in me a clean heart. And renew a righteous spirit in me, God. I have been foolish, God, but I know now. And I want what you have planned for me. Give me the courage and strength, God, to practice that agape love now. So that I may have that great love in the future. We thank you for your mercy and grace, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen.